Hi guys, welcome uh, back to the original Judo podcast. Uh, I'm James Austin and I am delighted to be joined by uh, another old uh, Matt colleague. She is a London 2012 Olympian. She is uh, also a bronze medalist at Glasgow Commonwealth Games. I'm delighted to welcome Lisa Kearney to the show. Lisa, how are you doing? Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's really good to see you, Austin. Yeah, it's been a long time, a long time. Um, but no, I am doing well. I am still up here in Edinburgh, still in touch with uh, a lot of the, the old gang from, from back in the day when we were on the mat. Um, and just kind of, yeah, sort of now after retirement, working and, and things like that. But yes, all good. Taking over. So... Um... It has been a long time since uh, you were you were uh, on the IGF circuit. Um, could you just talk <laughs> to us about like your background in judo, how you got started, and then um, yeah, like where you ended up? Sure. So as you say, went to the London Olympics, um, took a medal at the Commonwealth Games. I was hoping to qualify for Rio. And I'm sure we'll come back to this, but yeah, had quite a significant injury. And it was sort of then the year after Rio, maybe late 2017 that I then retired. But I actually started judo when I was eight years old. And it's a funny story. I had absolutely no interest whatsoever in doing judo. And, and my coach, who ended up being my coach for, you know, my whole career, and we're still in touch now, Karen Ward, he, he taught judo in the primary schools and he would go around the schools and do these exhibitions. Mm -hmm. And I thought it looked like a load of rubbish. <laughs> and <laughs> the only reason I went was because all my friends went. That was the only reason. And I just absolutely loved it. And once I hit the teenage years, my friends all dropped off and I kept going. I just loved it so much. Um, so that's kind of where it all started. And I think through my teenage years, when I was, I was training quite seriously through my teenage years, I did like the cadet uh, circuit, you know, we go to cadet Europeans, then moved up to junior age group we go you know junior world cups junior europeans world championships things like this so i was training really seriously through my high school years and i think at that point i knew that i wanted to be a full-time athlete and i also kind of knew that in ireland in judo at that time it was quite a hard thing to do because there wasn't it's not it's not historically a big sport in Ireland. There wasn't that many people to train with. Um, even things like pathways to bring athletes through or funding, things like that. There, there weren't very many things set up. So I ended up coming to Scotland because obviously, you know, Judo is quite stronger. We have the full-time centre at Ratho. Um, so I ended up moving there to just kind of give it a go and see what would happen. But it, I guess it's quite interesting because around that time, it was obviously kind of finished school at 18. But in the two years prior to that, I just had this like cycle of injuries. So I'd had like 
two thumb operations, a knee operation, a shoulder operation. It's just like I had five operations in two years. It was just like one after the other. And I guess quite formative years in some respects in, you know, coming through the junior kind of into senior age group um, and also just deciding what to do with my life. Do you know, it wasn't that much fun having to come back from injury every time <laughs> I made it back it. onto the mat. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty tough going. Um, and it just seemed like a cycle that I couldn't get out of. It was just one thing after the other for two years. Yeah. And so by the time I was leaving school, I had to make a decision. Do you know, I was thinking, this has been a really rubbish two years. This has not been enjoyable. If this is how it's going to be, I don't, I don't know if I want to do it. It's not that fun. But <laughs> also, I guess the flip side as well was, or another consideration was, like, I didn't know how successful I would be. I, I had missed two years, really. And... I happened to make it back to a few competitions in between the injuries and it did well, but that was as a junior. And I, I suppose I felt like I wasn't that sure how successful it would be as a senior athlete. So between that kind of not really knowing and the injuries, I just wasn't that sure what to do. But I think deep down, what I really wanted was to just give it a go and just see what happened and see what it was like. So off I went to Scotland um, when I left school to be a full-time athlete. Oh, so that was just 18? So I was, by the time I moved, I was 19. Um, because again, I was injured, I was rehabbing. So I left school at 18. By the time I came across, I was 19. And... Um, I didn't really want to leave home either. I was I was quite a home bird. I was really happy there. But I just knew, you know, there's just no one to train with and things like that. It was just, it was just going to be so I wasn't going to give myself the best chance if I didn't leave. Yeah. So so over I came to Scotland and um yeah, pretty glad I did. Why why Scotland? Um so obviously we're you you know uh Ireland, Northern Ireland, uh, not that far from uh, mm -hmm. Scotland, but you also have like Bath was strong at the time, Camberley was strong. Um, I know there's, there's been a couple. Of the was it Dartford as well? Dartford maybe at the well. time. Yeah. Um, what went into that decision? Oh, uh, good question. Yeah, because I had a had a chat with Karen, and I'd sort of said to Karen, Karen had spent some time himself training in Scotland with you know David and Billy and, and everyone over here but I, I said to Karen I don't want to I don't want to just go where you've gone I want to kind of visit the other places and and just see what works best and Karen was so so supportive of that and the first place I visited was Edinburgh and never visited anywhere else <laughs> I was like <laughs> this is the place for me I don't need to see anywhere else um, and then I also had to consider university because I was always going to go to university to study psychology alongside my career, my judo career. So I had to think about where I could also study. Um, and I knew that that was probably going to be on the side of judo. So maybe somewhere that might seem like they're going to be a bit flexible with things and have a course that I want to do. Um, but yeah, never visited anywhere else. I came to Edinburgh and I just knew you know, this is the setup I want to be in. Love that. So you, in many ways, you're a bit of a trailblazer. Um, 
you're the first female uh, judo player from from Ireland to go to an Olympics. Yeah, the you were the, the first medal at Glasgow 2014 for Northern Ireland. Yeah. I think you were the first Irish player to win uh, win a World Cup. Yeah. Um, does that bring pressure with it, knowing that you are, yeah, setting the setting these standards for yourself to match and then for the next generation to match? Yeah. So I guess again, it's a funny one at the time. I almost didn't know any better. Like I was just so used to being the only one, like me and Karen, very much a team. And yeah, just making our own way. And like I say, there wasn't really pathways in place at the time. And, you know, things around funding weren't the way they are now. Um, so I think at the time I was just so used to it just being us on the road doing these tournaments but it was it was pressure like I was aware of aware of that because being the only one like you're the sole person flying the flag for your country in that sport <laughs> you know like that's insane um and I was aware of that and also when you you know you travel and other countries have whole squads of athletes who you know are there in their kit looking like on point and you know all these types of all the little things that you probably don't really think of um so it definitely was pressure and also I guess there's always pressure to get results because that's what gets you funding and that's what allows you to kind of progress and, and keep going and have more opportunities and the funding normally comes after the initial results yeah so um there's always there's always a pressure there to perform and I do think I do think when you're the only one it's heightened and maybe in other countries where it's a bigger sport there's different expectations as well do you know obviously me and Kieran had expectations that I would do well but I think when you're from Ireland on the world circuit other countries are like oh Ireland you know like almost this awareness of other people other countries potentially thinking that you know we're a weaker nation or things like that too um and just I guess not having what what I think also was difficult for me personally about it was not having that team not going away with a team you know and having there's something about when you're there with peers doing the same thing as you on the same journey mm -hmm. and they totally get it, you know, and that was missing for a lot of my career. But luckily for me, I was training in Scotland. I was able to get that sometimes off, off the Scottish guys when we were away. Um, but yeah, like I say, for a lot of the time, it was just, it was just me and Kieran. Um, so that was, that was definitely missing at times. So there's, there's loads there that I hope I remember to come back to. I've been making some <laughs> notes, but I want I want to I want to talk to you about London, the the experience of London first of all. We'll come we'll come back to injuries I think uh, later, and because I, I know you were um, plagued by or off the mat with injury, you like recovered in time for London, didn't you? You're off the mat before London, came back, yeah, and then yeah, as if you've mentioned, you like struggled again before Rio. But um, what? 
what was that London experience like for you? You've said you weren't aware, really, that you were blazing this trail, but you're the first Irish woman to go to an Olympic Games. Is that something you're conscious of? Like, Yeah, I think even more now when I look back, like I say, sometimes when you're in it, you just do it and it's normal and you don't, you see it in a different way once you look back, back on it, don't you? And it was normal for me for us to get to an Olympic Games, like you say, first female in the sport to do that for my country um, without kind of the, the pathways and things really in place for the sport yet, without like, you know, the depth of partners to, to train with, all these things. So when, when I look back and I think that, like, wow, we done that and now off the back of that, I mean, that kind of helped put judo on, on the map in Ireland. And now off the back of that, there's there's lots of things in place. And it's not okay. it's not because we went, the, you know, it's not because kind of we got to the games, but Kieran has continued lots yeah. of work with with Irish sport and sport Northern Ireland and um you know putting things in place and he's continued the journey with with younger athletes um, and brought on board other people to help develop the sport in the country uh, but but like I said we it was uh, we were the initial team yeah it was Kieran it was led by Kieran you know I was the athlete but Kieran really he's made all this happen yeah absolutely yeah oh, I love that 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 kind of experience for you um do you get to enjoy obviously 48 kilos you're fighting on the first day of the games mm -hmm. um do you get to enjoy things like the opening ceremony or are you at that stage i know you were cutting for 48s and as soon as london was out yeah. of the way you're uh, up at 52 kilos like are you able to yeah. enjoy things like the opening ceremony did you go did you choose not to go like are you too worried about your diet or are you too worried about the sleep and being on your feet what what what, what did you decide and what played into that decision? I guess it was a, a number of factors for me. So weight was always one and trying to obviously cut weight, but keep as much energy as possible in the tank for competition day. And above all else, I was thinking of my performance. So because I was fighting on the first day, didn't go to the open, opening ceremony, and I had, it just wasn't even on my radar to go. Yeah. Like, it would have been a cool experience, but it just so was not on the radar because I was so focused on the job at hand. And a part of that, like, yeah, like conserve energy and all those things. But I guess also as an athlete, you get your like pre-performance routines, don't you? And what you like to do beforehand and you don't typically go to a massive event the day before you compete um and you know for some athletes they will have gone and got a good buzz and that'll be fine for them but it just didn't feel like the right thing for me I think it would have probably been a, a drain on my energy when I was already making weight and it would have just been a change to the routine that I was so used to and knew where I was um, so I think I think those were some of the reasons why, yeah, just it wasn't even a consideration for me. I just had no interest because I was so focused on the task at hand. So you end up fighting the Chinese girl first and 
despite uh, several minutes pouring over YouTube, I couldn't find the fight, but I did manage to find a report on the fight. And it sounded like it was a bit of a back and forth. So you, you're down with Zari um, through a lot of the contest. You managed to get it back and take the contest into golden school. Um, do you remember, is it too long ago? Or do you remember being conscious of the time of like the way the like rhythm of the contest was going? Was you, did you feel like the contest was with you at that stage or what did it feel like going into golden score? Going into golden score. I was feeling pretty good going into golden score. Um, and yes, yeah, so I'd, I'd been down with Zari and then I, I threw the girl not like I guess not too long before the end of the contest and as you say inside a judo fight sometimes you can feel like you're gaining momentum and it's going your way or sometimes you can feel like the pressure and like it's slipping away from you and but it felt very much like tit for tat kind of a thing and um, maybe she'd win some exchanges I'd win some exchanges I felt pretty good uh, and then I just got caught, you know, as as happens often in judo, it takes one second. Uh, but it's a pretty ruthless sport as well, isn't it? Because then, you know, you if you That's lose, it. yeah, you're out, you know, you go home. Uh, what, and- what's the aftermath like for you? Like day one, you've got six more days of judo. Um, mm. How are you? How are you coping? Like, are you, are you someone who, like, just gets on with it? Or did you kind of get sucked into a bit of a low for a few days and then enjoy it again? So, I guess, initially, initially, I think it was just, like, the whole the whole experience was just so huge and so significant. I think I didn't process it at the time because... You spent in judo, so obviously every sport's different, but in judo, you spent two years going to qualifying tournaments to try and qualify for an Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. So for two years of your career and your life, you're solely focused on qualifying for the Olympics. But then obviously there's a whole what decade more than that that, that comes before that really intense two-year period. Um so I think at the time, and the fight for me to get there was tough. Do you know, I was not a favourite at all going into yeah. the Olympic Games. Like, the fight, the, the plan was get there the first time round, and then the second time round, you'll be in a much better place. Ah, okay, be, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Um, so so the, the real fight was getting there, and then once it was there, it was like, right, just go out, perform, do your best, see what happens. Like I wasn't, I wasn't a contender for a medal, yeah. really. Um, not that you don't back yourself, but there are favourites going into tournaments. Of course, there are. Um, so I think at the time, like you know, you have this, you have this really intense two-year period. Before that, you have like a 10, 12 year build-up. Before that, um, and then it's over in one day whether you win or lose, yeah. like whether you're on the map for two seconds or all day long, it's all over in one day and life goes on like as normal, but it's not, 
I think for people who kind of put so much of their life into something, it's you'll I guess you'll know Austin as well as as anyone. It's not it's not really a career. It's a life like it's a lifestyle. It's a way. It is all consuming. It is your whole entire life. So at the time when I lost and had one fight like it was a tough fight it went to extra time whatever but I had one fight and then it was out and then I did go and I did enjoy the whole rest of the Olympics but um I think I think the aftermath came once I went home from the games and realized it was all over and I worked so hard and then came away with you know not nothing but what at the time felt yeah, like nothing yeah 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 no I, I i talk about it i go like you, it's, i mean similar like again you were a much better athlete than me but you get there and all of a sudden <laughs> you do start to go oh actually this this is going to be the fairy tale this is going to be the the yeah. it's going to come true yeah and then and then it doesn't you know because yeah. as you say someone beats you yeah um, <laughs> What what's that aftermath like? Like you, you're already talking about how um, you knew beforehand the the focus was going to be getting to your next Olympics to Rio. Yeah. Like, are you straight into that, or are you aware of Glasgow at that stage? Um, or again, do you need to take some time off to step away from the sport because you go, yeah, that maybe like identity crisis or that maybe not a crisis, but like the oh, what has it all been worth it moment where? Yeah, yeah, I had totally had a massive, massive come down after the games, and I think it was probably a reflection of how intensely focused I was for the two years of qualification. Like there was nothing, nothing else in my life that was even remotely as important as qualifying for the Olympics. I was completely consumed by it. And, you know, as as an athlete at that level, you have to be. It has to be your everything, really. And it's not an easy sport either. So I was so consumed for these two years and then one day, like it was all over. And it's four years to wait for another Olympic Games. That is a long time. (laughs) So I, I had a massive come down. And I think I was exhausted from like what was a pretty relentless process, like two years of constantly making weight, constantly traveling, you know, one week I'd be in one continent and the next week I'd be in a, in a different continent halfway across the world. So, you know, jet lag, like performing, it was, it was so exhausting. It was so, so exhausting. And then, like I say, it wasn't the outcome that I would be hoping for. So, so yeah, I had a massive come down. I had some time off because I was thinking, I just, I, I was, I was feeling pretty low. To be fair, I was feeling like, you know, that was that was like twelve years of my life. Like, yeah. what, <laughs> what, what was that for? Um, so I, I had a bit of a break. I had a bit of a break, kind of reset, um, and then that was exactly what I needed I just needed some time away to basically recharge so that I could come back and be kind of fully focused and fully have my head and my heart fully in it again which is exactly what did happen but that kind of rest period was was really important um yeah are you are you aware 
So like, how long did you have off? Because again, uh, that next cycle is split by a Glasgow Commonwealth Games, which mm-hmm. uh, post London, I didn't care about the Commonwealth Games. Like it wasn't yeah. really anything on my, on my radar. And then as it started to creep a little bit closer and the, the atmosphere kind of certainly in Scotland or, you know, we're training in certainly Judo Scotland, but also I think the way it was like being sold and reported to everybody as well was it was really positive. Like it was going to be this huge positive thing. Yeah. And I started to buy into that more as opposed to like kind of loosely thinking about a Rio. I started to buy into like Glasgow and like what that could mean for the your career and like what an opportunity that would be. Yeah. Were you aware of the same or was it something you were always conscious of? So I think it was something that it was something that had been on my radar and for I guess it's like it's almost like a home games isn't it really like Scotland is so close to Northern Ireland we're all inside the UK you know just across the pond there was huge hype in Northern Ireland about it Um, and I knew I was going in as a contender for a medal as well so it was definitely on the radar however it failed during Olympic qualification for Rio (laughs) so it was and there was no qualification, no Olympic qualifying points for it because it was only Commonwealth countries that could enter. Mm-hmm. So it was, I guess, a weird dynamic where it's so important for like the sport, for me as an athlete, for us as a team to medal, to do well, to have this opportunity, really important for funding but there's no Olympic qualification points, which is also, again, the most important thing. Um, So while I wanted to kind of perform well and be in like kind of peak shape for it, it was was also something that in some ways wasn't as important as the other tournaments that were qualifying ones, but it felt more important. The hype around it, the opportunity, like, to medal at a games like this, do you know, and it, I, me living in Scotland, it felt like a home games, do you know, yeah. so it, it felt huge. It felt, it felt like a really significant thing to be a part of. Yeah. So uh, the, yeah, you, you're completely right. And I totally agree that the, the strength of the athletes competing at the commies is, you know, not certainly not on the level of like the, the IGF field, but the profile of the event. And I think that's yeah. the way I'm feeling about it, is coming into Birmingham, living literally just down the road from the stadium. Um, the profile of it is so high. It becomes such a big, it becomes a big event because it there's going to be so many eyes. Like, yeah, totally. It felt like a mini Olympics. That's yeah. what it felt like to me. Like <laughs> it was, you know, multi, multi-sport. You have the village, you have all these events across multiple days you have all this media attention it it had such a similar feel to the olympics just on a slightly smaller scale um and like yeah just you say the profile of it and attention around it so do you know it felt like it felt like such a privilege to be a part of an event like that yeah just like it was the olympics yeah i love that and then you you talked earlier about how you were 
like a lone athlete. The team was you and Kieran for so, so long. Mm-hmm. Um, does a Commonwealth Games and, and I guess that selection or qualification period for the Commonwealth Games like finally present the opportunity for you to be part of a uh, like a team Northern Ireland like yeah. where you're traveling away with other athletes representing the same uh, country as you so it was it it definitely had quite a big team feel to it and it was so I would uh, very frequently be home in Northern Ireland for kind of different like training or testing or like whatever physio whatever it was and it was all the chat at the institute there in you know across all the sports and I knew loads of athletes going across different sports I had other judo athletes going um, and there was a real sense, there was a real sense of team. There's a real sense of support from, from people back home. A huge amount of people came over to kind of to watch the events and to, and to support. Um, and yeah, just to have other like kind of judo athletes and yeah, just to be a part of a team, a team was really, really nice. Um, because like I said, it's not something that, that I always got to experience. Um, so that was definitely a part of it that I really enjoyed but because it failed during Olympic qualification I shot off pretty quickly after after the event I didn't hang around because I was traveling I might have been fighting like two weeks later I think oh right okay I think the world championships or something quite big was two weeks later it might not be in the world but it was something two weeks later um so I didn't hang around, so I didn't get to experience it in the way I did the Olympics. Um, but certainly the lead up to it and all the hype around it and the feel when we were there, it yeah. felt pretty similar. So obviously Glasgow as well, you're competing against friends, I guess. Yeah. So um, the final is you and Louise. No, the, the sorry, uh, you lose... Did you compete against Kelly in the semi-final? Yes, that's right. It was me and Kelly, yeah. And then Louise has Kelly in the final. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that like? Again, looking on the roster, looking on the 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 sheet and knowing that you're going to be coming up against these girls who you're training with day in, day out, um, and that you're going to have to compete against them, which you, you probably or may have done at some point in your career before, but not in such an intense yeah. uh, situation. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so it it what it it did feel very different from if we were to fight each other on the world tour, and I think it was all the attention and media and hype around it, and the importance it held for our individual sports in our nations. Um, so it it had a very intense feel to it, and me and Kelly and Louise we're all training together in, in Edinburgh. It doesn't get more intense than that day in, day out on the same mat. And I think what always makes it more difficult is you just, you know each other's fight inside out. You know, you fight each other every week. So sometimes that makes it quite a difficult fight because, you know, you just, you, you know what to expect and you know kind of, you have to sometimes get quite tactical or yeah, it just makes it quite difficult, but there was the added pressure of the intensity around it and the expectations. And we were all in contention for a medal. Yeah. Um, so 
there's there's just huge hype around it and like I say when you know each other so well it becomes a very close fight um so it was it was very intense but I think that what I always focus on is me and my performance and what I need to do like you could be fighting anyone it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day it's about you and your fight and what are you bringing to the math that day and that's what always helped me because it's impossible to not feel the expectation and the pressure yeah. and you can get totally consumed by it so I would always just bring the focus back to the process what am I doing I mean I'm walking on the mat to fight like I do every single day of my life um, and I know what I'm doing the outcome will be what it'll be but I'm going to bring the fight today so what events did you find it harder to stick to that process were there were there events where you found it more challenging like so again potentially in, at an olympics or a, a commonwealth where there's more social awareness of the event do you find it the pressure makes it harder to stick to your normal kind of process or routines or your normal mindset or is it at those maybe smaller events where i don't know maybe they're less important or again did you, was that never an issue for you were you always able to to find that pretty easy no, no, it was definitely an issue. Um, it was harder at bigger events with more scrutiny and more kind of hype around them. So like the Commonwealth Games, but it wasn't an issue for me at the Commonwealth Games when it was actually an issue was when I was younger in my mm -hmm. career, when I was like a cadet and a junior um, and kind of, I suppose, I had done lots and lots of like, judo training physical training you know is like an absolute tank yeah but mentally I had done no preparation and wasn't naturally like wasn't naturally there and that's and that's an area that you know like it was pretty obvious that's what was the weak part of my performance that's what was letting me down so I got a sports psychologist and it really like just massively changed things for me and kind of learning, I guess, understanding for me what was happening and then learning ways to manage that and what I need to do to mm -hmm. get to the place that I need to be in to perform the best that I can. And it's, it's so individual and, you know, you kind of having a psychology background as well, Austin, probably quite interested in this type of stuff too. Um, but it's so individual because you're a person before you're an athlete. And so everyone brings something different to the table, mm -hmm. depending on like lots of different factors. And some people like will kind of quite naturally mentally already be there. Yeah. and already be in that place where they're just going to dominate and take over and some people won't be and I wasn't and I had to it it didn't come naturally I had to work hard at it and I got there with it um but it took me until my senior career to get to that place I made lots of mistakes and there was lots of learning before I was able to understand what I needed to do to mentally screen everything out and just focus on what I was doing. So when I came to events like the Commonwealth Games were like there was massive scrutiny and I was expected to get a medal, 
the like the my mental game was was on point because I had already made all the mistakes and done all the learning. <laughs> I love that as a I love that as a response though. Like if if I I talk about the mental game to judo players, like I, I try and I like I like to compare it to judo because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people look at it as uh similar to judo there's a magic trick there's a like a magic button what's the secret technique that's um just going to get my uchi mata to ping everybody what's <laughs> the what's the secret to getting a men- mindset and it's great to hear that you go well actually it's working at it for a long long time yeah. you know in yeah. in your case and as you said some people are very different yeah. making those mistakes and then learning from those mistakes yeah totally and i think that i think that you are ready to like you're ready to give your best performance you're ready to you know take a major championship medal or whatever it is when you've learned the lessons you need to learn and everyone needs to learn a different lesson (laughs) and some more than others um so you know how you make it happen it's not to do it's not to do with age and it's not to do with it's about when you've learned what you need to learn that's when you're ready. That's when it's going to happen. And you only learn those lessons by making mistakes. And unfortunately, <laughs> like, you know, that's what we all as athletes, as anyone really, you know, we hate perceived failure, don't we? Yeah, of course. It's painful. And when you care so much and you put your heart and soul into something, and it's not just about you, you have a team behind you. So you feel like you let the whole team down when, you know, things don't go your way. And it, it really is painful, but that's where that's where the magic happens. That's where the learning happens. A light is shone on the areas you need to improve. And then it's up to you to go away and do the work or you and your team to to take that take that on board. And instead of, I suppose, be totally deflated by it, which of course happens at times, it's about then tackling it and really mm-hmm. thinking okay right what can I do this is what I need to work on what am I going to do about it I'm I'm gonna uh say on on a lighter note you know we're, we're getting quite serious here but on a lighter note um we started this interview in daylight and as it's gotten <laughs> darker and darker I feel like Lisa you you sat there in the dark, pitch dark now you didn't didn't put a light on at the start feel free to, not. to stand up and go and turn a light on you don't have to sit in a dark room uh <laughs> <There we laughs> <go>. <laughs> i was uh, yeah recording the interview starting to see less and less of lisa as it got yeah. <laughs> um so you come out of glasgow you've 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 had your medal performance actually what's that rostrum like again knowing the the three of you all yeah close training partners train every day together what's that rostrum like um, I'm going to be honest, Austin, I wasn't best pleased with bronze. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going out for gold and like I, I had lost out to Kelly and I don't know if different people might have different perspectives on it. I felt like I felt like the referee decision was harsh. Oh, I love a um, bit of controversy. Terrible um, referee. <laughs> I mean, that's that is. If I'm going to be honest, that's how I felt. You know, that is genuinely how I felt. I felt like it was harsh, um. So I was not happy after the semi final, and then obviously had a bronze medal fight to prepare for, um. 
So kind of had to get my head back in the game pretty quickly for that. Mm-hmm. But I was very happy to be after what felt like a massive disappointment in the semi-final. And it okay. wasn't about... Oh, always had always had close fights. Um, the disappointment was about how it happened and how kind of my feelings around around the referee and um, that's that's what I was annoyed about um, as well as obviously losing. But to be on the rostrum, to come back from that disappointment and then win the, the medal fight and be on the rostrum was awesome. And to be on the rostrum, you know, with the team at Ratho, like the the rostrum was the, the girls at Ratho where we trained. <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool because I think it showed the strength of kind of the home nations in that level of tournament who, for our who sport. Was, who was the other bronze? Um was it was it maybe was it the girl from Mauritius? Oh I don't know. But not not another Ratho uh nah. acolyte. No. Okay, okay. Um, you come out of that, you're straight back onto the Olympic circuit. Yeah. Uh, two weeks later, um, you end up getting some fantastic results. 2015, you get a Grand Prix bronze medal, which I think is your first medal at Grand Prix level. Yeah. You look on point. Your yeah. qualification must be looking like it's going uh, really, really well, really smoothly. Yeah. And then there's an announcement that you're not going to be able to. Um, and I, I don't know the timescales between uh, Samsung and the announcement, um, but you're not going to be able to continue through the qualification. What yeah. what had happened and how easy was it to come to that decision? Was it a decision? Uh, no, unfortunately not. Um, so, like, you're totally my perspective is like you're so on point with what you're saying I felt like things are really coming together in my career so I felt like I was in the best form that I had been ever in my career I felt like I was taking the best results so like you say I had my first Grand Prix medal things were on an upward trajectory um, and I felt like I was on the cusp of probably the best like performances of my career and then I um, unfortunately got a pretty severe injury. Uh, it was at British squad training. Um, and yeah, just kind of just one of those things in, in training. Um, I had injured my knee. And I remember this is because I guess kind of things get a bit blurry as time passes, but I remember this really, really clearly. Shot British squad training during a, a randori session, had the injury, and like straight away, I knew it was bad. And I flew home the next day and kind of went straight to see the physio, and the physio was like, oh, yeah, it's not looking good. <laughs> and the next 10 days were like a whirlwind of physios, consultants, scans, long story short, I needed a knee operation and it looked like I had done my ACL, MCL and cartilage. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that it had been injured, um, 
like I think it was it was a bit more complex I, I can't remember the ins and outs um so anyway had the had the surgery but it was they were saying like you know this is this is really bad like we don't know we don't know how your knee will be after this like we don't know if you're going to be back um you know able to compete like this again so to hear that well actually your career might be over and it's the year before Rio and I was on such an upward trajectory as well um and you're you're just 25 as well like yeah yeah you must have yeah you describe him like being in your you're feeling like you're coming into your peak yeah yeah totally so it, it just felt like the world crumbled around me. It just felt like everything came crashing down around me and all of a sudden out of nowhere. But very quickly, like the focus became, I wasn't even thinking of the Olympics. Like that, that was in the mix of emotions somewhere, but I was thinking like, I might never do judo again. Like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And then the surgery went really, really well. And after the surgery, I was then getting really positive messages about like kind of the, the trajectory of like my knee health, about getting back to judo. It was a really long, hard rehab process. Um, it was out of all the surgeries that I've had, which unfortunately have been many, it was by far the worst, like the pain afterwards. And just the length of the process to get back to like full fitness and, you know, for my knee to be okay to do judo again. It was a long, hard process. And then obviously having to sit at home watching the Olympics. Um, it was, yeah, it was pretty difficult. Yeah, it was pretty difficult. Are you aware as you're having the, as you had injured yourself, as you like the week's, after when you're having the surgery you know this is still 2015 are you aware that the olympics is now definitely gone or do you have in the back of your head that you're you're someone who can defy the odds and you'll make it back or again are those <laughs> messages like so overwhelming that you you you, you just kind of oh it was totally out of it was totally not i mean it was really clear that i was not making it back i was not going to the olympics um, so my focus was completely on rehab and getting back to full health and then, you know, just seeing where I was after that. And I knew that it was definitely not going to be in time for the Olympics. Um, so it was probably, again, there's probably a bit of delayed processing because I was so, it was such a shock. Like this injury was so big and it was such a shock and it came at, such a bad time in my career um and then like kind of how major it was my my whole focus just became on focused around getting back doing what I needed to do I just went back to the process again of what the rehab was what I needed to do to get back to where I wanted to be and it was much much later when I was kind of far down in that process far along and um able to do a lot more sport again that's when I started to realize oh like <laughs> I've missed Rio <laughs> like you know or 
not even that I missed it, the opportunity was taken away. The opportunity to compete, to be there, to, you know, all those things, like that that was taken away and through no fault of my own, that was painful. But that's, that's sport. It is what it is. And you can be better. You can, you know, you can hold on to that and you can be better. But, or, I don't know, what's the point? Like that is just so unhelpful it's a privilege to like do what we do every single day and at any point that could end for any reason so like I could have held on to the disappointment and how unfair it felt but that just seemed like such an unhelpful thing to do so it was just so focused on on getting back and like yeah I was really disappointed um and kind of when it did sink in, how, you know, and I watched, I watched it on TV, I watched my teammates like from Scotland and Britain compete. Um, but I was just so focused on getting back and doing what I needed to do. Um, yeah. So you, you talk about having this focus on coming back. Are you thinking about returning to the mat? Are you looking at a Tokyo cycle then? Um, and I ask, like, with the hindsight, with the knowledge that in 2017 you announced your retirement, like, mm. you talk about this process. Are you are you conscious that you want to get back to doing judo the way you were doing it before? Or, again, are you already starting to go, I've, I've, I've had enough of this? I was fully intending on coming back and and I did get back on the mat and I was training um, and I don't know it was just different my heart just wasn't really in it anymore and to be to be an athlete at the highest level like you really need to love what you do because it's so hard and it it is your whole life it is all consuming and I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. And like, it did work so, so hard to get, to come back from the injury. And I feel like that in itself was a success. Um, and I was back on the mat and I was training and there was kind of talk of the competitions we'd be doing. Um, but I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. Just like wasn't happy. And I was on the mat, like kind of day in day out training, but sort of because that's what I've always done rather than that rather than I actually wanted to be there mm-hmm. and I think that and I just wasn't happy I just wasn't that happy doing it anymore I think I was just ready ready for a change and ready to take a different direction in my life and I think that that in itself is quite a hard decision to make because like it's easy to do what you know it's easy to stick with what you know you know, your whole identity is wrapped up in the sport. Your social circles are wrapped up in the sport. It wasn't like I still had a lot of a, a lot of friends continuing to compete. It wasn't like all of my friends were retiring. Some had retired, some hadn't, you know. Um, and I also felt like, I kind of felt like I didn't have any other skills. Mm. felt like, yeah, I can throw people and lift heavy things. How is that going to help me in real life? It felt quite terrifying to step away from what I know and what I'm good at into the unknown. 
um, and for everything to change. But I just, I knew that I wasn't happy and I didn't want to give, I didn't want to like give a suboptimal performance or, you know, I don't know, it just wasn't genuine. So it felt like, you know, it's time because you're you're in it or you're not. You have to be all in, (laughs) you know, you can't be half in. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to go along sort of being half in when my heart wasn't in it anymore. Okay. So. So I came back after Rio, like that's when I got back and then sort of for, for a while was training and then realized, you know what, I'm just, my heart's not in it anymore. Is there, is there something in that you've, you've had two years off the mat or as good as 18 months off the mat, you get back into the sport. Do you know straight away? Is it is it something in you that's changed? Or is it the environment's changed? The the people around you are different. Um, again, knowing that the likes of the the Renix and Kelly have finished at that stage. Um, and you, you're getting a younger generation coming through, I guess. Is it does it all play a part? Or is it again, was it was the change solely in you? I think it was in me, and I think it was probably brewing before. I think it was probably brewing before Rio because I kind of had in my head that I would do Rio and then I would maybe retire like after Rio or maybe go on for another year and then retire. But I didn't to do a third Olympic cycle wasn't in the plan. Mm-hmm. So kind of had in my head like I'll get to Rio, I'll do that. And then, you know, it'll be not that long after Rio that I'll retire then obviously that plan went out the window. I didn't get to Rio and, you know, kind of watching everyone else compete, having to sit at home, watch it. I just thought, no, nah, I'm not done yet. I have to do another Olympic cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it was actually day to day living the life of, you know, the reality of that, I was like, do you know what? It's just not making me happy. So it wasn't, I guess it wasn't as sudden as when I came back from the injury. It was brewing before that. Um, but then, yeah, just kind of missing Rio and that day-to-day reality and how long another Olympic cycle is. Um, and it just, yeah, it just wasn't really that happy. So I knew it was time it for was a change. Time. Yeah, and and you you say you ha- you were you were all in. Like, were you studying? Um, obviously you've. I know. I don't know if we've talked on the podcast for its pre-podcast. You've kind of uh, done psychology degree, masters, um, and, and now working in the fields. Um, is that is that something you're doing alongside training, or again, have you reached this point in 2017 and you've suddenly gone? oh shit what am I gonna do (laughs) that's what I wanted to do I need to go back and visit it now so I always studied alongside my training I studied part-time so when I came to Edinburgh in 2008 or something I think it was um I went to university to do psychology at the same time Uh, I went to Harriet Watt and they were so so supportive they were so flexible so basically they let me every single year choose how many modules I wanted to do or if I wanted to do any at all and all I had to do was finish the degree in 10 years and I think I finished it in nine (laughs) undergraduate degree (laughs) so it was a long slow process 
because it was always on the side. It was always on the side of my real career, which was judo. Um, and I think that the flexibility of the university allowed me to be completely focused on judo and just do kind of little bits on the side, chip away at it over time to get it done. And then it was kind of after my retirement that I pursued more things in the field of psychology. So I've now done my master's um, in child and adolescent mental health and, and work in um, the field of mental health with children and young people. Um, and yeah, kind of some thoughts around maybe at some point doing some sports psychology because I feel like I feel like I'm clinically trained and clinically practicing I have competed at the highest level of of sport I've I've been there I've done it and sort of have that experience with the skill set of and clinical background as well I feel like it's something pretty unique to bring to the table and that I could really help athletes and and you know help people perform and learn the lessons they need to learn to be the best they can be um but I also feel like I feel like I remember so clearly when I was young seeing and you I don't know do you know Lisa Bradley you might not so I'm not sure so there wasn't many there wasn't many um People doing judo when I was growing up in Ireland, there was very few females doing judo. Uh, but Lisa Bradley was kind of flying the flag. She competed for Northern Ireland in, oh my God, I can't remember what Commonwealth Games. It might have been like, it might have been like, was it Birmingham or Manchester or so, something? Like it was. Yeah, so, Manchester uh, in 2002 and Auckland was the only one before that in 1990. So, I think it was Manchester. She won a medal at the Commies. Okay. Anyway, when I was growing up and I looked to Lisa, I was like, whoa, like Lisa Bradley is amazing. Like she was flying the flag. Do you know, she was like the only one who, like the only girl doing judo at some sort of level um, oh, so cool. were in my country. And I just remember, she just was like, she, she wouldn't have known it at the time, but she was just such a role model for me when I was young. And Kieran then brought Lisa into our team and she was yeah. my training partner for a while as well, which was like amazing. And I just remember looking up to her and I think it's so important to have role models in sport, especially for girls. And judo is quite a male dominated sport. So to have people to look to, to go, it can be done, like they're doing it, she is doing it, I can do this. And to promote the sport to younger generations and to females as well, I think is something really important. And I know like Megan's been doing some work around that recently, Megan Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just, I think that that's really important. So I also have in the mind that I almost feel this responsibility. I feel like I've been given so much from Irish sports, Sport Northern Ireland, the Institute, um, Irish judo. I feel like I need to give, some back to and that to you know I guess it can happen in lots of different ways can't it but to just kind of be out there and talking about it and I don't know some people do some coaching or or whatever but I feel this responsibility to give back and to promote be given what I have and, and promote for younger generations and you know keep the 
keep the trail blazing the flame <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that that's fantastic so what what is that for you is that moving into coaching is that talking about it is that as you say like uh, sports psychology like what is that for you is it creating opportunities for judo in in Ireland Northern Ireland like what is that for you Yes, I'm not really sure, but I have been chatting to a few people kind of in, in the Irish Student Association about coming back and just doing some almost like masterclass type things, do you know, and Megan did one recently and it was Megan who's actually kind of got me um, involved a bit. Um, and so I think even little things like that actually are just so, so important. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you never know like it might be the smallest of interactions it might be you know watching a video of someone it could be anything that just sparks something for a young person and gets them like really engaged and motivated or makes them believe that they can do it too um so I think like it doesn't have to be you know it doesn't you don't need like massive gestures but I think some of those little things like just being present or you know doing a master class or doing some sort of talk on sports psychology, whatever it is. Um, I think those things can be priceless. Fab, love that. Um, Going to start wrapping it up. And I say start wrapping up, I'm sure we've got another 20 minutes in this. Um, <laughs> obviously, we've got Commonwealth Games coming up. Um, I think it's quite a young team coming from Northern Ireland. Um, with the possible exception of uh, Owen Fleming, who was there in Glasgow. Um, so we're only eight years since the last uh, Commonwealth Games um, where judo featured. Um, so this time around, we're going to see a lot more athletes who have two Commonwealth Games under their belt. You know, coming into Glasgow, there were only two athletes who had that. We had Sarah Clark and John Buchanan. And Sarah is still the only athlete with, two Commonwealth Games medals yeah in judo which is just this incredible achievement um like what what can they expect from a Commonwealth Games what can this young team expect that's a good question I think they can I think they can expect kind of a lot of hype and a lot of attention and focus to be placed on it rightly so it's a massive event I think they can expect a pretty phenomenal experience because, like I say, it's multi-sport. You've got the village. You've got just the profile the, like of, of this event. And if any of these young people are in any way thinking of kind of Olympic Games or even like, you know, World Championships and stuff like that, I think this is these events are one such a feat in themselves and such a such a high level event in itself to be at and to be a part of and then two such an experience to be able to bring forward into your career to other things if that's what your sights are set on because like we say in you know it's the commonwealth countries who are going to be competing that excludes some countries but what a massive event to be able to take away learning and experience from and bring forward into other things. Um, and and do you know what, though, at the end of the day, you walk on a mat, you fight someone and you do what you always do. It's just so judo. It's just judo, yep. 
but it's like I say, it's just the enormity of the event and yeah. and the kind of hype around it. Um, but yeah, I just think they can they can expect a pretty phenomenal experience. Um, but if they can, I guess, also just remember at the end of the day, you walk on a mat and you do judo is, like you always do. <laughs> is is Kieran the coach again this time around? So. This is so bad. I'm sure Karen's like performance director or something now. Oh wow. Um yeah, so he's he's definitely very much in involved. Um and actually this is so bad. I don't know if he's I think he's still in a coaching role as well. Mm-hmm. But I know he brought like Chloe Cowan in, um, and there's other coaches kind of involved too. So I'm not sure who's going to be there in a coaching role, but he's he's still involved. Um, and I know kind of, yeah, does, does bits with kind of different athletes and he was doing a lot with Megan and, and Nathan Burns and things as well for a while. Um, so very much involved, but don't know who will be in the coaching chair. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, looking back over your career. Yeah. Do you, have you got any like big regrets? Any regrets? Um, no, I don't have any regrets. Sometimes I wish I had learned the lessons I needed to learn quicker. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been ideal. <laughs> um, but I don't have any regrets because, I mean, yeah, like I didn't leave any stone unturned. You know, my preparation and training was second to none. And I always did the best that I could when I was out there on the mat. Um, and I think the only thing that the only like for me, I guess everyone's different, but I think the only thing for me that you could possibly regret is if you don't give it your all. Mm-hmm. And I always give it everything that I could. Um, so no, I don't have any regrets. Do I wish things were different? Yeah, of course. Of course I do. I wish I had, you know, major championship medals that I don't. But when I look back on my career, I just think it was a phenomenal period of my life and what a different life to lead as well, you know? So, um, yeah, I just feel like it's, I've been so lucky to yeah. have the opportunities and, and the experiences that I have. What's your, what's your best performance? If you look back on your career and you had to go, yeah, that is Lisa Kearney at her best. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a medal, just has to be a performance. That's a hard question. Um, I think I would, I want to say different things at different times for different reasons. But the easiest answer for me to give <laughs> is it's, it was probably my Grand Prix medal when it was really starting to come into my best form. Um, and things were really starting to come together at that point. So I think that that was, that was one of my best performances. But again, I suppose some I, I like Commonwealth Games has to be up there. Um, yeah, but maybe the Grand Prix medal, that was, that was, I think it was really starting to come into form at that point. Love that. I think that, I think that the, because the, also had some like so many injuries. So I feel like my body and mind were like coming together <laughs> at the right time together. <laughs> what was your, um, what was your favorite place to compete? Spain oh really okay you know why I'm able to answer that so fast because I was in Spain recently um 
And when I was there, I remembered how much I loved to go to Spain to compete. I just always had a good camp, a good competition. I don't know, sometimes like you get something in your head as well. Like because I had so many positive experiences in Spain, I just then liked going because I almost expected that it was going to be a good a good result and a good performance. Um, and it was somewhere where I competed. I would often go to to compete in a maybe like a B tournament or something like that, coming back from injury to like mm-hmm. get back into it. So it was probably, that was probably part of it too because it's so nice to get back when you've been away injured. So that would have been a lot of first backs for me as well. So I think that's probably why too. I love that. And then um, I guess last one for me is who is your favourite person to compete against? Who was my favourite person to compete did you, against? Did you, did you ever have someone who you go, um, actually, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this fight? Or was that always more something in training? Do you know what's easier to answer? Who I hated competing against. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Van Snick? Yeah, 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 Belgian girl. Yes, the 52 Belgian girl. Yeah. You know why I hated fighting her? Because I got her in the quarter finals like every single tournament and lost her <laughs> every single time. And it was just a horrible fight as well. And when you keep losing to someone, it is absolutely infuriating. Um, and whatever way the draw was happening, I just kept drawing her in the quarters. So I absolutely hated fighting her. Um, but I don't think there was like someone in particular, you know, I really enjoyed fighting, but pretty much just tall right-handers. Who, Any your, tall right-hander. <laughs> who's your favourite practice then? My favourite practice. You know who I always had a great practice with? Sam Clark. Oh, really? Sam Clark. We used to, like, knock lumps out of each other. But <laughs> <laughs> it was always such a good practice. Um, I guess I was quite like fighting Kim Rennix as well, because she's quite tall. I quite like fighting tall people. Um and although, you know, well, we were in the same weight category for a while and then obviously I moved up. Um, but she was always quite a good practice. Um, and Kelly, when we were doing Randori, we had quite open, good practices. It was only when it came to crunch time that it was l- much less enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> but in Randori, we could have, we could, we could actually do some really nice judo with each other. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Um, there's look there's probably a whole host of questions I could have gone into or you know for another time around uh, weight cutting and making weight um, you know because I know you had some big cuts for 48 kilos and then I'm sure you ended up managing your weight 52 kilos I think we've probably run out of time because you've been I do appreciate you giving up your time for me it's absolutely superb and I really loved listening to your kind of story it's been amazing. So thank you. Um, if I don't know if, if you did you do social media, like do you, are you would, would you post about things that you're doing in terms of judo? If you're, if you're going to do master classes or anything like that. Um, so I'm not a massive social media user, but I would. Yeah. I would, if I was going to do things Um, have an Instagram that I use, I think it's like Kearney judo. Um, so I'll post some stuff there. Because uh, I am, there's there's plans plans brewing for me to go back to Ireland um, and kind of do 
do a few bits. So um, like I'll have, I'll have to post about it. I can't do it and not post it. <laughs> well, well uh, guys, if you uh, have enjoyed, well, just in, make sure you uh, check out Lisa's Instagram so you can find out what she's got going on. Um, Lisa, thank you so much. It's been a massive pleasure. Thanks for having me, Austin. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Uh, Everybody listening, you know the score. Like, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. Catch you all soon.